0: Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. My guest on the podcast today is joining me remotely from Southern California, Ryan Crisp, Director of Brewing Ops for Ale Smith Brewing in San Diego. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan.
1: Hey, welcome. Thanks for
0: having me. I've been a longtime fan of Alesmith. I've bought a lot of Alesmith beer. You guys have shipped us a lot of Alesmith beer. Used to co- covet those uh, bottles of Alesmith uh, barrel-aged Speedway and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. And it's so and uh, I'm really excited to have this conversation uh, because... We are currently working on the stout issue of the magazine and so uh, you know when this uh, idea came we came across this i thought you know what this is a fantastic conversation to have at this point in time to talk about stout brewing to talk about adding things to stout which you all do so well within that kind of speedway family uh mm-hmm. if there is a coffee that exists on this planet i am pretty sure that you have added it to stout <laughs> and uh <Yeah. laughs> Probably. and so we're going to uh, we're going to delve into that i know it seems like weirdly off season to talk about stout and coffee and whatnot right now as it is like record heat wave on the west coast that's true uh, there's i mean there's no bad season to talk about stout though i don't think i 100 agree with you stout season is year-round these days mm-hmm. so we're gonna uh, focus the conversation around stout uh, but before we do that like your flagship beer you can rely on GD chillers for the same quality and consistency. G&D guarantees that every chiller they build will hit 28 degrees without breaking a sweat. They never stop, they draft, they craft, they service each and every brewery, big or small, all in an effort to build one hell of a chiller. For nearly 30 years, G&D has been committed to cold, Reach out today for a quote at gdchillers.com. Also, this episode is brought to you by Sativa from BSG Hop Solutions. Meet the latest in the BSG Hop Solutions portfolio, Sativa. Strong expressions of stone fruit, floral, and resinous pine flavors and aromas define this blend, crafted specifically for use in hazy IPAs and other hop-forward beers. Sativa is ideal for aroma, whirlpool, and dry hop additions to hazy and juicy IPAs, or for any other hoppy styles where a combination of citrus tropical fruit and pine aromatics are desired go to bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn more or call 1-800-374-2739 so ryan uh, give me the background on your uh, your brewing history uh, how you got to where you are and uh, you yeah, know maybe touch on just just a little bit al smith history too while you're at it
1: yeah well i started brewing as a home brewer i think like many it was always sure. something, I love craft beer, the process just kind of fascinated me. Um, but Alesmith started in 1995, so long before I kind of got into the game. Real small operation, old dairy and winery equipment, just kind of cobbled yeah. together in a little warehouse in San Diego. Uh, I was taken over by our current owner, Peter, in 2002. Uh, I came along in 2006 just to visit the brewery and check it out. and. I asked if there were any interning opportunities, and it was my lucky day. So I was able to help out for, for a summer, and when a position opened up, um, thankfully, I got on board. So it's been about 15 years since then. Uh, we were about 800 barrel brewery when I started. We're doing about 30, 35,000 now. So it's been a long, that, fun ride.
0: Yeah, no, that's, uh, that is quite a ride. Uh, and so, the, the beer that A.L. Smith has made along the way. Uh, you know, what, where, what were the kind of classic cores as you started and uh, how, uh, how have you kind of, you know, over that kind of time, um, you know, how has that lineup changed, shifted, or uh, even uh, further developed?
1: Yeah, I think like most older craft breweries, our lineups definitely evolved over time. I mean, the, the idea when the brewery was founded was – to do modern American takes on classic European styles. So our flagship back then was our our ESB, which is still one of my favorite beers. We did an extra pale ale. Speedway was a, has been around from the early days because um, that you know technically is a classic European style, just Americanized, made bigger sure. and better. Uh, that as time's gone on, our tastes have evolved with the market. I think. So we make more hoppy beers as hops have become more readily available and, and the qualities become better and better. We're really excited about those. We're making awesome hazy beers. But we we still in our taste room play around with the, the older styles. They're just not as popular with consumers anymore, but we still love them.
0: You make them for your own love. No, I I remember Absolutely. the old Yule Smith Yule Smith IPAs and Oh my gosh, the Scotch Ale was uh, was one of my favorites back in the day. Heavy, yeah. You can still find those when you
1: if you come to our tasting room. We do those in the seasons, different seasons.
0: Last time I was out there, uh, you were making the transition from the old tasting room into the new one um and the new one wasn't quite open yet i I think you know they had been built and i think we popped out in the parking lot and got to see it um you know but we're still over at the old tasting room uh uh you know to buy beer so that tells you how long it's been since i've been out that (laughs) way Uh (laughs) yeah a little while a little while, um but I'll need to make another trip soon. well, let's talk a little bit then uh you know about stout so speedway you know was this kind of and, and not to you know, you there's plenty of other great uh alesmith beers out there three ninety four pale ale and other things that you've since launched uh you know from those early days um that are also great beers, but I think you know given how uh you know important a speedway is is just a beer in the world of beer um there are not as many stouts I think like it that have achieved that kind of iconic status. There certainly are others, but that is one of those that i when I think about a stout with coffee in it it's like speedway is is just that go to beer like it is just a classic um you know talk to me about uh over the you know since the, the time that you've been involved in alesmith uh you know how you all have um you know kind of shepherded that growth along Or i guess maybe we should back up before that and talk about what are those core tenets of speedway um how do you all think about it as a beer what are the you know parameters that are consistent what are the parameters that change and what do you what do you all feel is that kind of core identity to speedway
1: yeah that's a it's an interesting way to to look at it i don't think we usually think about beers in those terms but I mean, Speedway started in the, the 90s, not long after Ailsmith was founded. The beer has kind of evolved over over the initial years. I think it started as like an 8% beer before it became a 12% beer. Uh, and then using coffee beer was unheard of at the time. So dialing that process in has been kind of an adventure since it was started. But I think for us, the core things about the beer is is balance. So we don't want it to be too sweet on the finish. And for a 12% stout, that's probably the most difficult part, um, getting it to, to finish around six or seven Play-Doh. We don't want to add too many um, fermentable sugars that aren't from barley. We don't want to add a lot of dextrose or, or corn sugar because that will change the flavor. Uh, we want it to be roasty but restrained a little bit. So it's a balance of flavors. It's a balance of, of sweetness and the perception. And then we want the coffee to kind of jump out in the aroma and kick in in the end. I think of all the parts of the beer, the, the coffee is probably the hardest part to make consistent just because coffee being mm-hmm. Are less consistent than um, you know barley crops. So as coffee changes, as different coffees become available or others don't aren't available any longer, we've had to kind of evolve and do different blends and cuppings with roasters to try to nail down the profile that we're going for.
0: Sure, sure. You mentioned that that sweetness and getting that down to a level of dryness. Now the you know the other piece of that is that it needs to be dry but also not taste acrid or sharp or, you know, otherwise, um, you know, come across as too acidic, Um, you know, all of these kinds of, you know, pieces that can come when you're using, you know, roasted coffee or and roasted barley, Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about that balancing act, you know, Mm -hmm. of, of pushing that dryness without it being perceived as so dry that it, you know, heightens the kind of negative impact of, of some of these other sharper flavors in the beer itself.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think we've all had stouts that were acrid and, and ashtray and burnt, and we've probably all had stouts that tasted like wort as well. And sure. sometimes those beers can be great. Well, what we were looking for was something that was in the middle of the two. We didn't want it to be heavy. Uh, we currently sell it in 16 ounce can so we want it to be a beer that if you want you can have a can of in a sitting without it completely blowing your palate apart and you feel crappy afterward even though it is a big beer Um, but we also didn't want it to be it's just super dry and the malt and chocolate flavors just are lost and it becomes very you know very ashtray and charry um and then the coffee would just come off the same way, so that that is a challenge. It's a challenge making sure that it's fermented consistently. Um, the yeast is super important. The oxygen level, knockouts, super important for that beer because uh, it can go wrong pretty quick. You know, when it goes wrong, it goes real wrong. You know, you could end up with basically work <laughs> after <laughs> <Sure>. fermentation. <laughs>
0: yeah um talk to me a little bit about the kind of you know building a a malt you know base component for that stout you know because again you know some of that can help you know push this idea of sweetness without it being actual sweetness and i think you know building some of that kind of layered approach to it is is probably a, a piece of this kind of equation how do you all go about you know building that up um from base malt up
1: yeah, that's a that's a good question. It's our older beers, Speedway, we have you mentioned those European styles were, they're often much more malt forward um, with a few exceptions, obviously. So for those beers, we usually will start by building the malt component of the recipe first. Um, and it, it, it's a very complicated recipe, Speedway, that has... Different toasted malts. It's got roasted barley. It's got chocolate. It's got caramel malts. Um, so it, it's not just you know one or two different things to get the complexity and the the layers of flavor. It takes a lot of different malts. And it could be if you want to add crystals, you don't just add a ton of one thing. You may add a couple of different kinds to provide you know nuance. Um, I think so it's
0: a it's a homebrewer's recipe
1: where you uh, basically yeah. <laughs> well, that's how it, it was kind of started. But yeah. I think there's something to that, though. I mean, mo- most larger craft breweries are you know you want to simplify, uh, understandably, you know you want to cut costs. But for a beer like that, it, you couldn't. It, you know, if you stripped out those other components that don't seem like they're having as much of an impact, uh, you'd realize they were. Yeah.
0: No, I we joke about it, but you know Corey King has said the same thing. You know on on the podcast, like it is, you know some of these the beers that people love the most out here in the world are some of these more complex, especially in this world of stouts, are some of these complex recipes because you really just can't substitute out for some of those multiple layers. Um, well, without giving away too many of your secret secrets, um, you know, <laughs> are there some you know specific ingredients along the way? That you find yourself leaning towards, or uh, you know, and I imagine we're we're talking about a lot of base malts still, and then sm- you know, small percentages of each one of these specialty malts. Um, you know, are, are there some you know cool or crucial pieces that um, you know you find uh, add really interesting flavors in the kind of middle spectrum of the beer? I think every
1: malt in it plays a part, so. I- I don't think there's, you know, there's not one that's more important necessarily. Um, but I think you have to have some, for, for a beer like that, you have to have some sort of caramel malt component. And I think it's important to have some sort of toastier or biscuity type malt uh, as well to provide some more nuanced, malty flavor as opposed to just being base malt and roasted malt. I think the hardest thing to nail down a beer like that is the the dark malt. Though we use yeah. um, roasted barley and chocolate malt, it, ha- it has a ton of roasted barley in it, but it's not. You wouldn't drink it and describe it as extremely roasty, I don't think. And that's at least what we're going for. Um, so the, trying to balance those malts, which can come off very unpleasant if you overdo it, and if you underdo it, it's not. It's not the same beer, right? Yeah. Uh, so that I think that can be the hardest part in designing a recipe like
0: that when you say there's a oh, labor it's really heavy on roasted barley you know rough percentage wise what do you you know what does that end up being in the recipe
1: i to oh, put gosh. you on the spot here you put me on the spot like, <laughs> i got it
0: all memorized um you mean you don't commit <laughs> this kind of stuff to memory
1: <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know i don't think i know exactly off the top of my sure, head sure 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 what it is but it's it's i remember when i started and i had homebrewed plenty of stouts it was more than i was expecting for what the beer tastes like you know it's it's definitely roasty but it's not as roasty as that you think from what the is in it
0: now there's just there's a lot of beer to balance as you've been involved you know with ale smith over the last 15 years um those ingredients certainly are not the same now that they were then, whether it's, you know, um, equipment from maltsters uh, or, you know, just what they're offering, how they're processing. Sometimes, you know, maltsters improving their equipment, um, change, you know, changes those ingredients. Um, and for you all, you're a, a relatively large operation. Well, not, not huge, but a good sized operation. And you're working with a lot of these ingredients regularly. Um, you know, as these ingredients change from year to year, season to season, or, you know, every couple of years, um, talk to me a little bit about that process that you all go through to evaluate these as as they come in. Or if somebody stops making something and you need to substitute something new in to accomplish that same kind of, you know, a flavor in the middle, um, you know, talk to me a little bit about how you all go about that, especially, I mean, when you're talking about an icon like Speedway it it's not a small thing to you know, to uh evaluate some of these ingredient changes and think about uh, you know, some of these the way that these changes happen. Yeah,
1: absolutely. We treat all the the raw materials, malt and hops, similarly, because they, they all change season to season and, and whoever you buy them from. But we make malt teas pretty regularly, which is an yeah, ASBC um, they have a method for it. It's a pretty good way of being able to try the malt without getting as much of the husky material that you're not going to get in the finished product. And so we'll do them through our sensory panel blind. And then we'll, you know, sometimes we'll see that the malt we're using is not the one that we picked. I think originally the beer favored more continental European maltsters, um, you know, the classic Simpsons and Crisps and all those. I think as time's gone on, what we've seen is American monsters have improved quality um, enough where they can now compete or even be better than some other continental options, and um, so that's really allowed us to work with people who are closer, reduce our our imprint with shipping across the world for certain things um so but we're which which now in
0: in this year seems really smart um (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) when larger brewers are trying to hoard any of those uh uh, imported ingredients right now that they can potentially find just because shipping and everything else is uh has you know the world's gone crazy around that um you know that does make sense um you know so so a hop tea process is how you uh you know you Keep an eye on these things. How often, you know, do you guys do that kind of thing? That that's interesting and curious.
1: Yeah, for I think probably more often for hops because the yeah. variability crop year to year can be pretty significant and farm to farm. So we do those um, annually with each new crop. And then aside yeah. from selecting the hops that we use, you know, at the farm, we'll also do that at the brewery, so we can kind of see the impact in our beers. Um, for malts, it's a little less often, probably every couple of years, um, or unless we find something that we're really excited about that's, we're not using, or, you know, our supply becomes unavailable for whatever reason.
0: Have there been any bigger shifts in that kind of malt component of the beers? Some moments where, you know, obviously if you've moved it over time from 8% to 12%, it's definitely gotten bigger along the way. Um, you know, but were there any you know moments there where it, it took some hey let's really either you know thicken this up in the middle or you know the taste is moving away from you know this kind of uh you know harsher roast or hey we have this coffee you know that's going to provide some of this edge that we now no longer need you know, from the malt itself um you know have have there been some moments like that where you've done some more serious tinkering with it
1: yeah, I think there are with with all our beers. You know, if we weren't yeah. tinkering, we wouldn't be good brewers. We, not that we want to change everything, but we want to maintain it. You know, right I think it was, for
0: it to for it to be the same, it needs to change yeah, because the way that people perceive these things, their palates are always changing too. Right.
1: The recipe itself has stayed pretty consistent over time. I think that what's changed more than anything is the process. I think it's it's gotten better. Um, really dialing in the fermentation is one of the, the huge keys to the beards. Like I said, it's very difficult to get it to ferment out as far as we want it to um, and it, it just takes kind of everything going right and a lot of it took yeah. a lot of testing, measuring, trying sensory panel uh, to get to that point
0: sure well let's talk a little bit about that fermentation but first a brewery might have 99 problems but your fruit supplier shouldn't be one old orchard is already known for their high quality concentrates but they also pride themselves on consistent product and reliable supply when brewers need assistance old orchard is just an email phone call or even a text away based in greater Grand Rapids Michigan better known as Beer City USA Old Orchard is core to the brewing community. To join their fruit family, learn more at www.oldorchard.com brewer. Also with nearly 20 years of innovation and experience, Brewmation specializes in electric steam and direct fire brew houses complete cellar solutions, and automated controls for the craft brewing industry. From a half-barrel to 30-barrel systems, Brewmation puts you in control to design a brewery that fits your needs and brewing style. Whether you're starting a new brewery, upgrading your cellar, or just need some parts to keep you up and running, Brewmation has you covered. Visit them at brewmation.com to get started. So Ryan, you've mentioned it twice now that getting it to ferment to where you want it to go uh, is is the biggest challenge Let's talk a little bit about that obviously you know yeast choice plays a big role in that um, you know temperature care cell counts uh, you know all matter in that kind of equation um you know for you and there are certainly yeasts that you could use that would ferment it down to wherever you want it to go Um, Mm -hmm. i mean heck you could just uh you know pitch some quake yeast in there and uh, it'll rip right (laughs) through everything right sure uh you know but but talk to me a little bit about how you balance that how um, the yeast expression that that you're looking for to help complement the flavors you're going for um you know means that you have you're making a yeast choice that has to be cared for uh you know in other ways along within that fermentation process um you know just walk us through uh, what that looks like for you all
1: yeah well we've tried Different yeasts long ago, um, but our goal has always been to be able to use our house ale yeast for this beer, uh, which is basically a, the equivalent of like an American ale, just a clean, um, a clean West Coast type of yeast. So the real which challenge, which makes started, sense
0: from a production's you know standpoint, because you're you know you're making pale ale and you, you've right. got or ESBS and you've, you're you know creating plenty of uh, commercial starters for this to get it up to the kind of level, you know, to put it into a a beer this big. So all of that certainly makes sense. Nothing living is coming out of this beer either. So you do it using a
1: batch. So speed uh, line is the finish line. (laughs) Exactly. So we, uh, so this beer, like all our beers were originally fermented in open top horizontal fermenters, which definitely helps with fermentation, um, which is, I think, part of the, why the original beer was designed the way it was and to ferment out as much as it was. Um, but as we grew, we were no longer able to do that. We had to go to, to conicals. Um, and so we're increasing the hydrostatic pressure. So that's when we, we started to tinker and realize that we were gonna to need to do more. So we played around with oxygen levels a lot and validating our procedure to make sure we're getting enough oxygen in it. Uh, or the quality of our yeast has you know, gone up tremendously, I think, and that's been a big part of it. We've played around with different nutrients and and our malt and water. Make sure we have you know enough zinc and we're not, there's all all the parameters are right for the highest level of fermentation that we can get which basically is what it takes to get this here to a balanced place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All of this kind of orchestration of, of all of these little pieces. So watching that all along the way has to, you know, provide a interesting challenge for the entire staff there, making sure that every single one of those, uh, you know, pieces goes right. When mm-hmm. things don't go right, what is, uh, what is usually the the culprit for that?
1: It yes it's us not following our processes for some reason, whether <laughs> something breaks yeah. or
0: use or air, but uh, I, I was waiting for you to say it never goes <laughs> wrong. We uh we nail it hundred percent of the time. Like, it's been a while, luckily. Uh the number one
1: would probably reason would probably be yeast or you know, something terrible happens like we run out of oxygen in the middle of knockout whatever right, right. or something like that. I mean that would that would do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, when you say oxygen, you know, I I mean, obviously, uh, you know, streams are going to be different. But uh, for you, how much is there a point where there is too much oxygen?
1: Not that we've found uh, in our (laughs) processes. I mean, anything over a certain point flashes off and it's not really possible once it gets into the fermenter, especially. So it's not really possible to saturate it um, with no – no pressure on the tank. I mean, other than hydrostatic yeah. pressure, our tanks not that big, so we've we haven't had any issues. Our brew house has a a Venturi nozzle, which works pretty well, um, so we're able to dial that in pretty accurately.
0: Yeah, in terms of yeast cell counts, I mean, obviously you're you're measuring viability, uh, you know, and whatnot before yeast goes in there, and I know you guys have a lab that can do that kind of thing, um, you know. But is there a, a cell count that you find ideal for that without over pitching it?
1: Uh, not not necessarily mm-hmm. a specific cell count. I would think that we're targeting. We pitch everything by weight. Uh, we have okay. a, a yeast. Kind of storage tank that it's got a mixer on it, we can it allows us to get really homogenized uh, samples. We have a solometer, so you know what we can give viability at 99 percent, and then it's it allows us to pitch very consistently as opposed to pitching in a, a static vessel where it stratifies very quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, in the conical itself, are there any uh, you know tricks to, to being gentle and babying that yeast? So you know, certainly temperature is going to play a role. But uh, are there any, any other uh, tricks that you all employ to to kind of make sure that that stays healthy? In the the storage tank. In the form fermentation tanks,
1: yeah. In the fermentation tank, it's just a matter of get it in, get it well dispersed and let it do its thing it when we store it we do have a pretty specific you know regime of what we do we have it on the agitator on a certain timer and you know we've kind of figured out exactly the least amount of shear, the least amount of agitation it takes to keep it homogenized
0: yeah yeah i do love watching the yeast propagation systems at larger breweries out, out here in fort collins where i am the New Belgium, uh, you know, yeast room is literally a small brewery. I mean, it is the size of some small craft breweries um with a similar number of tanks that are just there propping up uh, you know, yeast. Uh and you know certainly that's a, a scale that's you know larger than you guys are, but you know that that production of yeast piece of it is, is such an important overall part of, of the equation um, you know, and doing it well and making sure that you've got healthy yeast uh, and not have, you know, like When you're producing 30 some odd thousand barrels a year you right can't buy fresh pitches for everything you'd go out of business real Mm -hmm. quick trying to be competitive selling beer if you were going through that kind of expense um you know are there any other kind of peculiar behaviors though from your house sale yeast that that you find that you all have to work around in that uh, that fermentation process
1: i wouldn't say peculiar behaviors in fermentation uh we just, were very careful with where we're harvesting it, which is where harvesting out of the cone. Uh, yeah. So there's definitely, if you harvest too early in the slurry in the cone or too late, it you can get significantly different qualities. Uh, so we, we do have to be careful about that.
0: Yeah and i guess that all ties into your sops where you know on which day of on this brew uh, after a certain point that it's going to be right to harvest and then uh you know you can just pull out of that kind of golden time frame right exactly yeah um how about water how much does water play into this you know you're in california water's a you know hot commodity and uh um, you know, certainly municipalities have to do a lot of treatment of varying kinds, generally, uh, given the strange path that water takes to get to you. How, you know, what does that kind of process look like for you?
1: It's that's always a, a concern and a challenge, especially in San Diego of all areas. And we're in a drought again. We've been in many droughts. And so we track water from the Water Authority. We get a monthly report, like many breweries. We've tracked it since we started, and you can just see the the total dissolved solids just creep up and up and up. Uh, I think right now we're something like six hundred and fifty, and the EPA's oh, threshold man. for drinking water is five hundred. So it it's challenging to work with. We're not quite a big enough to afford a very nice and fancy, you know, TDS blending system with RO and something that we can design different water profiles for every beer um, so we we use di modules uh sometimes for certain beers to reduce as much as we can uh, but for most of our beers we're, we we got to use it the way it is that's
0: where <laughs> we are that's the beers we make right you're going with the local terroir yeah yeah um <laughs> yeah. No, that's, yeah, uh, it's the reality. Um, Let's talk a little about hops in Speedway. You know, there are hops in that beer. Uh, Maybe not the star of the show, but they they definitely play a a supporting role. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, uh, what do the hops look like in Speedway, and uh, why have you made some of the choices that you all have made?
1: We prefer to use extract on the bittering side. It's just a lot more efficient and leaves a cleaner – Finish in the beer. Mm-hmm. Um, the hops themselves are English varietals, um, in keeping with kind of the origin of the style from when it, the recipe was first made. The one unique thing about the beer is we do still use a lot of leaf hops in it in our hop back. Yeah. Uh, and part of the reason is physical. There's, there's no true pile when making a beer like this, it's just a massive of hops and uh protein. So that allows us to filter the word out for knockout much better. And it also adds, you know, a different kind of quality of flavor of hop. It's it's fairly minimal in the end result, but it is it is noticeable and it is there.
0: That seems weirdly excessive to use whole leaf hops, just in a hop back uh, t- to add that hop character w- and use it as a filter of sorts. Um, why goat all for just that subtle character impact?
1: Well, yeah. The, so when I started, all of our beers used a hop back. That's always been kind of one of the defining qualities of AleSmith beers. Some for, as we've grown, and we have newer beers. Um, most of them no longer do, but we're still set up to use a hot pack uh, for a number of our beers. And so we, it's something we just continue to do. We like the, the finished product that it gives us, and it helps make a, a cleaner wort, which I think is an important part of getting the fermentation correct on this beer and keeping it
0: sure. clean. Interesting, interesting. Well, let's uh, let's talk about coffee uh, too, because of course this is a key component in Speedway, mm-hmm. and I think we can go down a rabbit hole in talking about all of the varying coffees and then how you all adjust and work around mm-hmm. those. Uh, but, but first, there's nothing easy about brewing beer. It's an intricate, time-consuming art. The last thing you need to face is a recall or contamination. That can hurt your pride and your pocketbook. Clarion lubricants meet strict purity and performance standards to help make your system 100% food safe. That's protection for your equipment and your beer. So make the switch to Clarion and ensure your system is running smooth and safe. Go to clarionlubricants.com to learn more. So this coffee piece of of speedway there's a classic speedway you know that uh with its coffee component and maybe we start there and yeah i'm curious as you all think about this beer how you balance um, say bitterness contribution roastiness contribution um, and balance that between malt and coffee because you know coffee itself can add some of those same exact flavors and components um in terms of yeah bitterness and roastiness that that uh roasted barley can um you know and then also of course you need that sweetness and some sort of and balance um you know to help offset some of these you know sharper notes that these things can bring uh, but you also don't want to squash those flavor contributions of of coffee itself um and you can think about coffee and as producing a generic coffee flavor, but you can also think about coffee and all of the other flavors that it can kind of that it can evoke um you know for you all, how do you set parameters around that again, you use a lot of different coffees that may express themselves in different ways you know in the beer um how do you set like a you know middle parameters for your, what your you know original speedway is, and then mm-hmm. think about how some of these other coffees impact it, and uh, how beer might need to be adjusted you know in some other ways for for some of these other pieces.
1: Yeah, coffee is definitely one of the biggest variables. It's there's so much you can do with it, uh, which also makes it kind of tricky, um, but. I, the the profile we're generally going for for Speedway for the year round core Speedway is something that's we don't want to go you know super roasted like a a French or a City Plus or something uh, because that just contributes to the roasted barley kind of the ashiness and it doesn't come through well. But at the same time, we can't go as light roasted as a lot of the modern roasters would do. Which is the co- a coffee I would prefer, which has a lot more fruity notes, um, because those not won't always translate, and they they'll just kind of get dominated by the beer. So we're right. looking for something somewhat in the middle. It needs to have kind of a medium roast. Uh, we're looking for a, like a complexity on the on the kind of coffee, chocolatey, roasty side, with notes of of fruit and kind of caramel. So we always use a blend. Because different coffee sources will dry up, and we don't want to get, we don't want to be constantly just changing the entire coffee we're using. So we've, we've tried to, just
0: like hops, you you got to blend them in case yeah. uh, you know there's changes like that, and yeah,
1: we've we've created a blend from coffees from different parts of the world. We have uh, there's some Central American and some Southern American in it uh, that we think kind of creates that through trial and error through cupping. Uh, with the roaster we work with Um, but you you know we like you're alluding to we make speedways with many different kinds of coffee so it it does lend itself to a lot of creativity but the important thing like the base beer is designed to have coffee so speedway without coffee wouldn't necessarily be the same or as interesting of a product Um, so it always does and it always will
0: yeah, how many different coffees go into this blend? You know, typically speaking, usually three, three. Yeah, and we brew um, it in the house,
1: which that process uh, has changed a lot over the years. But there's there's potential risk of oxygen because um, we're you know we're taking something that we're making hot and we're trying to cool it down, and that's been uh, something we've really dialed in. Try to make as strong as possible. So we're adding as little water as possible um unnecessarily um, but that still captures those flavors
0: so that's interesting um you know certainly some of the folks that i've talked to uh do it the most ridiculously expensive way which is condition you know drop you know conditioning the beer on whole beans you know within the tank um can create great tasting beers, but that is crazy expensive given the extraction and everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, grinds or crushed coffee, you know, has has all of its own challenges, especially if you're trying to do the extraction in beer with alcohol in a tank. And you, so what you're saying is that you brew a high strength liquid coffee and then, you know, uh, add that liquid coffee into the beer itself.
1: Yes, we have, Kind of our own process. We've, we feel like we perfected for the beer. Uh, we've tried it other ways and I've had great beers, all those ways that you're mentioning. I think for us, the risk of adding whole or ground beans to the beer itself is, uh, we usually pick up a lot of sulfur, uh, yeah. which comes through in the finished product. And so we found that you, you have to make it, um, uh, and it, but it does depend on how you make it. <laughs> so it's a, uh, it's something that we've evolved over the years.
0: When you say it depends on how you make it, what do you mean by that? Well, you, you know, you can't just make a drip coffee and throw <laughs> well, it in. They don't, they, <laughs> they don't make commercial size coffee filters, right? So that I can, you know, right. just yeah, make, make a giant pot of drip.
1: I mean, we're making quite a bit of coffee at any one time for a, a tank full of speedway and so we're, we can't use a, a coffee maker so we've had to come up with our own like equipment that we've kind of designed with manufacturer uh and a process to to get like the you know the perfect saturation like i said as strong as possible but we want to cool it down quickly we want to keep as much grinds out of it there's a Definitely a risk of uh, acetaldehyde if you don't do it right, you're adding potentially adding oxygen as well um so it's it's kind of the equipment we use in the process or our head brewer Anthony's
0: dialed bin so you have a specific piece of equipment in the brew house that just uh makes your coffee, yeah. <laughs> oh that's cool it's no, an important uh, part know. yeah yeah no 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 that's that that feeds into the the brewer fomo piece now like oh wait i we we have our adjuncting tanks and our spin bot and our hop rocket and oh wait i didn't know that i needed uh you know our puree cooker um you know there's there's no end to the pieces of equipment that one could have in your commercial brew house to you know to do these things but now yeah. i guess we can add you know know your industrial you know sized mega tank coffee you know uh (laughs) exactly
1: i mean if you're gonna do it you
0: know
1: why not geek out on some cool equipment and do it right
0: yeah yeah um what are you how does it do that i'm just curious because i have not really conceived of doing that but what are some of the broad kind of parameters you know um imagine like the time on the coffee matters and you want to, you know, get in quick and get out quick. Um, you know, but all, you know, you want to, if you want to make a thick liquid or, you know, then that's certainly going to impact, you know, extraction. You don't want to have to like, you know, heat reduce this afterwards. Cause anytime you put heat on it, you're going to blow off some of the nice aromatic compounds potentially. Um, yeah, you know,
1: exactly. what,
0: how does this, how does that work?
1: Um uh, I think the important thing for us from our own research and trials to monitor the, the bricks of the coffee and you can use that metric as kind of a benchmark for not just the strength of the coffee, but the, you know, how much the concentration of it, you have a known starting amount. Um, So you're targeting a certain number that we know will get us the, the mix that we want and the flavor profile that we want. And then just keeping it, as clean as possible
0: separating the brines uh and making trying to cool it down as quickly as possible too do you then work to kind of de-aerate that after it goes through that brewing process
1: yeah i mean well yeah yes and no um we try to keep it from introducing oxygen as much as we can in the first place but it's like you said we don't want to blow co2 through it right uh, because it will remove the aromatics that we're looking for so you kind of gotta prevent it from getting it in, in the first place as much as you can
0: yeah yeah um and just by what creating a no oxygen environment for the entire uh, kind of you know uh, coffee brewing process to occur in yeah yeah exactly um Moving it from there, you know, into the beer itself—is there anything about, uh, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, transfer and then mixture homogenization process? You're talking about adding a super thick liquid into another relatively thick liquid at that point.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you want it to get mixed really well. We usually add it, um, it during centrifugation in line because we know that will mix the best.
0: Oh, that's we don't interesting. Don't
1: worry about. You know, I'm trying to mix it
0: within a tank later, or stratifying, or anything like that. Yeah, so it doesn't have doesn't have to sit together for very long. It just kind of happens in that uh, at the end of that process to bring it together. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and then I guess you're right. Since it's already been extracted into liquid, then you know there's uh, there's not that process where it has to become part of of the liquid itself. Right, Talk exactly. to me a little bit about Talk to me about this kind of, you know, single varietal and, and how some of the single varietal, you know, process, uh, you know, changes the equation with, with Speedway itself.
1: Well, that's a good question. So we have played around with lots of different coffees for Speedway, and sometimes we will pair um, adjunct ingredients Uh, or additives with a specific type of coffee that has a specific profile. So we'll we'll try to balance flavors that we think go well together. Sometimes it's just a coffee that we're really excited about that we think is unique um, and that will come through in the finished product on its own and that will provide something distinct and different than Speedway regularly is. Um, So it's, it's a matter of trying the coffee you know, finding the right coffee is the key. And then understanding what flavors are going to come through in the beer. And sometimes you can do that by simply brewing a coffee and you know, doing little small trial tabletop blends with the beer. Uh, and then from there, building on top of that if it is a beer that's going to have other different ingredients in it.
0: You guys have been doing this for a while, and I imagine you've got a pretty good mental picture now as you go through a cupping and and are tasting some of these varieties to to be able to think about what flavors do come through and what don't. Um, do you have any like general rules of thumb around that kind of thing? Yeah, I think generally
1: the the light fruit, lighter fruity flavors don't come through as well. So things on the spectrum of like apple. Or peach, things like that. The darker fruits, fig, raisin, those do come through better. I think the caramel notes can come through. And certainly, you know, the chocolate, roasty aspect of the coffee as well, that definitely comes through.
0: Yeah uh as you've tasted them, are there some of those single varieties that you your find personal favorites that uh that just took it to a new or interesting place that uh, you, you might have not expected
1: yeah that's a good question we we've we've tried some really expensive coffees and yeah sometimes i'll find that those aren't necessarily my personal favorites and it's you know the the price is, is been built up over time from the rarity, maybe. Uh, then other times we'll fi- we'll do something simple that I think is the best. But we've let me think we've done a, a number of ones recently that I really enjoyed. We did. It's not a single varietal, but we did a, a release with a coffee from Ostra. That one was a blend, but I really like that coffee. Uh, we, we sold the coffee at the brewery too, so people could try it on its own. It's called Ghost Bear. That one was one of the last couple of years, one of the ones that I was a big fan
0: of. They they know a thing or two about making, you know getting coffee prepped for beer and uh have yeah. you know, kinda <laughs> <laughs> They sure do. They've, they've done a nice job with that. No. Um, how, when it comes to, you know, now, now in addition to, you know, Speedway itself and the, the regular version of it, you'd also barrel age Speedway and, uh, you know, and and work through that. And it's been a little while since I've had some. So, uh, you know, so I don't know where that program is actually right now, but, but fill me in a little bit on that and how, um, you know, any of these more, uh, uh, I don't want to call them extreme, but I would say these uh, more um, uh, elevated iterations <laughs> of uh, you know of Speedway come into being. And is there any difference in the process around that? Because I imagine as you're adding coffee into a barrel-aged beer, you might not be spinning it in a centrifuge uh, and whatnot. Yeah,
1: it is a different
0: process. Um, so we
1: we can we still release variations of Speedway from barrels regularly. We also have a, a members-only program called the Order of the Anvil, where a number of those beers are different iterations of Speedway with different adjuncts or different barrels or double barrel, you know, right? all, all kinds of different fun things. Uh,
0: but you can even. I, I remember at one point you all were even doing like you could blend them in the special you know order of the Anvil Bar, you know, at, uh, yeah. you know in the brew house itself, right? Hell yeah. If you want we'll to, to make it even more complex, just make your <laughs> own pledge. Hey,
1: sometimes that's the most fun. You kind of be a part of it yourself. Yeah. When it comes to the coffee for Barely Speedway, it's there's a whole another element of the beer now you're introducing that you have to pair with the coffee. Um, so it's not this necessarily the same coffee that we would use. Otherwise, um, we've, we've done so many different variations with so many different coffees that we only release like barrel H Speedway on its own, you know, once a year. Or so I think we really recently released it with Vietnamese coffee, which is a whole different, whole different animal from a uh, regular coffee that most people are used to.
0: What, uh, what makes Vietnamese coffee so different?
1: It's roasted with butter and cocoa.
0: And so it's, it, it
1: tastes so like. So just dairy. add a whole we've,
0: bunch of fats into your beer also. That's not going <laughs> to. <laughs> uh, well, you've never had any issues with
1: that apparently, but it's, oh, good. it's extremely like fine ground. And traditionally it's brewed with a little specialized thin filter. Um, so we've had to try to mirror that process and we're not going to, two ounces at a time for a whole batch of beer obviously um that was an idea that was introduced by one of our brewers about five or six years ago but the finished product it tastes like it has chocolate in it almost it's extremely rich and that's probably one of the most popular variations we do
0: do you change the base recipe if you know you're brewing for uh, a different coffee like that or you just lean into it and uh, let it go the way it's going to go to highlight that difference
1: Definitely lean into it. Um, so we're aging Speedway for anywhere from usually at least a year. We've got you know barrels five years old as well. So wow. it's it's a matter of finding the right barrel and finding what type of barrel was it? Um, has it been used before? The right spirit. So when it, when it comes to barrel aging, you know it's a whole different it's a whole different ball game of variables that you have to select for. I see you what you're saying. So
0: rather than rather than viewing it as a single stream process where you brew a specific beer, then put it into barrels, knowing it's going to have this kind of coffee, um, you instead are looking at what you have in the in the barrel cellar, the stock that you've developed, and then start thinking about how coffee might work with those specific barrels and how they've evolved and where they are right now. Exactly, and I didn't know
1: five years ago but that speedway we put in barrels was going to be used for this far out but uh, as is often the case so it's a matter of trying the beer and and figuring out what it can become that will be really interesting
0: do you uh, purposely then brew different types of or brew speedway for barrels that leans in some different directions so that you have a bigger blending palette to work from. So for example, when I was talking to Marty and Jim up at revolution, you know, they Mm -hmm. will specifically brew a high gravity uh, version of stout or barley wine because it tends to age in a different kind of way. And it's, they'll never release it as a single beer, but Mm -hmm. it just, um, you know, that, that sweeter base, Tends to pull elements of the barrel out in a different kind of way, and it just produces that nice little component of a blend, even though it's never going to be the similar beer. You know, for you as you're thinking about how we're going to eventually have to make some beer with coffee <laughs> out of this down the road. You know, are are you? Do you think do you do you change some of those parameters, or do you kind of just work and you let the barrel make that kind of decision for the beer?
1: With Speedway, we try to keep the beer the same. It's already a 12% beer. It's already got, you know, fairly high final gravity for most beers. And I, I think I personally prefer a finished a finished barrel aged product that's not overly sweet as well. Anyway, um, by the time sure. we're putting it in a, an unused barrel, it's usually 14 to 15% alcohol ready. So it, it doesn't necessarily need to be stronger. Than that, uh, but we do make other beers that are just for barrel aged, and those beers are designed to be barrel aged. Uh, and you would probably never see an unbarrel aged version because it it wouldn't be a beer that we would want to release. So, you know, yes and no, no for speedway, yeah. but yes in mm-hmm. general.
0: Yes, for all of these other barrel projects that you all do. Um, Are there any of those specific barrel projects that stand out for you that um, you found were particularly interesting or uh, were fun diversions from your Speedway mainline?
1: Yeah. Uh, For our our member club, we created a beer called Lost Profit. That's one of my favorites. So we've got four different Imperial Stouts that we – Run through the member club, so we had to kind of sit down and identify how to four different directions that would be unique and that wouldn't all taste like the same beer. So last profit is a little bit lower alcohol, pre barrel wage. It's closer to eleven percent, ten and a half to eleven percent, but it has a ton of um, like dark fruit flavors. We use like treacle in it and molasses. Um, so it's got a whole different a palette to it. And so then all, it's always barrel aged f- through the, for the program. And so we'll do, we'll do a, like a regular barrel aged version and then we'll double barrel it and put a bunch of fun stuff in it. Um, but the beer is always interesting because it's just got that, that fig and plum and raisin element to it.
0: It's funny because, you know, those flavors used to be, you know, what all imperial stouts, you know, because of this kind of English base, that was where a lot of that flavor lied. And then, you know, the age of chocolate came upon us and, uh, you know, it pretty much supplanted that idea of these dark fruits and these beers. And I love it because, you know, when that happened, you know, five years ago, seven years ago. It tasted so great. It's like, oh, now we have this like cleaner chocolate character to these beers. And it's funny that we get to now at this point in history and we think back to those beers that we might have had f- 10 or 15 years ago. And we think about them fondly and we kind of want those things again. It seems to be that's I mean, you know, as much as we talk about uh, like time is not linear in the beer world. It is so slick, cyclical. Oh, and I think absolutely. that. Uh, yeah, you know, and especially now that we see West, you know, people rediscovering, not just rediscovering, nobody lost West Coast IPAs on the West Coast. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, hazy hazy beers did not supplant West Coast IPAs in, in a good portion of the country. Um, you know, but now across the board, people are seeing everybody get real, remember again that, uh, you know, that mm. those things have great flavors to offer. And, and of course, you know, we approach things now, uh, not as we did them then, but, as we did them then, filtered through the lens of where we've gone since, and now we come back to it, and it's a little bit different, but it also tastes these things. Anyway, I just love that kind of process that we move through, and I agree, it's uh, it's nice to taste those flavors in these big beers, and I think we'll probably see a little bit more of that, uh, you know, coming around again as the the tyranny of chocolate in uh, <laughs> big imperial stouts starts to <laughs> loosen its grasp. That anyway, anyway. So Ryan, before before we uh, uh, you know uh, get out of here, um, in a a bigger question, uh, what's next on the horizon for Speedway? Are there some challenges that you are interested in undertaking? Are there some creative ideas that you all want to explore? Or uh, you know, where where's it going to go from here? Or are you there's, just going to keep making left turns and keep going around that track? <laughs>
1: I see what you did there. There's <laughs> there's always challenges, you know, there's there's new and interesting things going on in the world of barrel aging, I think, that is something that we look forward to. I mean there's never enough time, you know, so it's we're never at a point where we feel like we've saturated everything we can do. There's always new and fun things. And we don't necessarily know always what they are, but we know that the journey continues.
0: Well, I can't taste I cannot wait to taste what you come up with uh, because Speedway and Ailsmith have not let me down on that yet. I really appreciate you talking with me on this episode of the podcast. G&D guarantees that every chiller they build will hit 28 degrees without breaking a sweat sativa is ideal for aroma whirlpool and dry hop additions to hazy and juicy ipas old orchard offers consistent product and reliable supply brumation puts you in control to design a brewery that fits your needs and make your system 100 food safe with clarion lubricants of course if you'd like to support this podcast go to beerandbrewing.com click on the subscribe button if you're a pro brewer hey we've got these all access pro subscriptions and we would love your support and you get some of our exclusive content online free and first um, Ryan, if people want to learn more about Alesmith or, you know, sample that speedway or come and visit you guys, uh, where do they find Alesmith?
1: They can always head to Alesmith.com or on Instagram at Alesmith Brewing. And they're more than welcome to come to San Diego and stop by a brewery. We'd love to have
0: Fantastic. Well, I've really enjoyed talking to you for this past hour just about Speedway. uh, I may be a little fixated here, um, but it was it was really fun to, to dive deep on that. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you.